welcome everybody to this latest podcast from the Herbert Smith Freehills Pensions team. My name's Tim Smith and today I'm very pleased to be joined by Ashley Hamilton Claxton who's Head of Responsible Investment at Royal London Asset Management. Uh, today I'm going to be discussing with Ashley uh, some of the recent developments in relation to ESG and pensions investing and also looking ahead to how things might develop in this space in the future. Uh, Ashley, thanks for joining us today. Thanks for having me. Um, just wanted to perhaps, could you start briefly by describing your royal, role at Royal London and, and the work that you and your colleagues do for pension fund clients? Absolutely. So um, as you mentioned, I'm head of response investment. Um, I report into our chief investment officer. So I'm um, part of the front office leadership team. Um, and essentially, we help our fund management teams implement uh, our response investment strategy. So that includes um, assisting and helping coordinate company engagement. So going to speak to companies we own about environmental, social or governance risks, ESG risks um, or opportunities. We also help implement our proxy voting um, across our equity funds. Uh, we vote, um, you know, about 15,000, more than 15,000 resolutions every year. Um, we also help the fund managers think through ESG integration. So how do they integrate environmental, social and governance um, considerations into their investment process? So um, undertaking deep dive analysis on companies or topics, um, coaching them through how they might want to think about climate risk within their portfolio, for example. Um, and then we also, for some of our clients, particularly their pension clients, um, which we're seeing an increased demand from, is um, help the business think about how we can um, assist with bespoke kind of ESG needs um, for clients that have segregated funds with us, for example. Great. And it's been a year now uh, since we worked together to produce a report, which was looking at uh, how things are evolving in this space, and in particular, the new requirements that came in last October for trustees to put in place written policies on financially material ESG factors. Um, what difference have, has that made in practice? Yeah, um, quite a lot, actually, I have to say. Um, you know, a lot people like me who've been working in the industry for quite some time have always said, um, you know, the minute we, we get the regulations around um, pension trustees and the asset owners around this, we will drive change. And we are seeing that happen um, which is quite a good thing, I think. So what have we seen in our land? We've seen a significant increase in the number of requests for proposals for new funds or due diligence questionnaires for existing clients that reference or ask questions around ESG. We've seen a dramatic increase from clients' queries about ESG questions. We've also seen quite a significant increase in the sophistication and detail of the questions we're getting from clients. Not, not all clients, but certain clients are definitely increasing their sophistication. So, for example, we had one client questionnaire only on ESG topics, which was 20 pages long, um, which was pretty extraordinary, to be honest. Um, and pretty much all of our client presentations now, whether it's sales pitches or updates, um, do include um, an element of ESG, and that is both um, being driven by our land, but also from demand from our clients. I'd be interested to know, obviously, the last six to nine months has been dominated by uh, COVID-19 and, and, and the pandemic. Um, what impact um, are you seeing that having on 
trustees and members' attitudes towards um, kind of ESG factors. Yeah, it's interesting because I think when the pandemic first was starting to unroll to um, happen, I think a lot of people in the RI response assessment industry wondered whether this would actually um, cause a significant delay or pause to a lot of the good work that we've been doing over the last 15 to 20 years. Um, because prior to the pandemic, ESG was absolutely going mainstream. So I think we all kind of paused and worried whether um, this would, um, people would kind of shift gears to look at very, very short-term financial consequences of the pandemic. And I'm actually quite pleased to say that that hasn't happened. In fact, the opposite has happened. I think COVID-19 has highlighted for people um, a lot of the sort of social issues that affect us as individuals and as pension savers and kind of shone a, a, a sort of spotlight on that for us. And so I think actually COVID-19 has driven even more interest in, in this area mm-hmm. and in particular even more interest in funds, um, specialist funds like our sustainable funds, for example, have seen unbelievable flows of, of assets coming into them during the pandemic. So I think it's been surprising, but also um, really hopeful that that's the case, um, that there's been really no no change. The only change is, I think, um, there was a huge focus, in, and rightly so, on climate, and there still is, but I would say social issues absolutely have shot up to the top of the agenda, in particularly around things like um, labor standards, health and safety of workers mm-hmm. in the pandemic, but also things like um, diversity and uh, driven by the Black Lives Matters protest. Yeah, yeah, that's certainly consistent with what I've heard from others saying that kind of th- there's a much bigger focus on the S in ESG now than there perhaps ever has been previously. Um, yeah. Obviously, the, the thrust of last year's regulations were were on kind of financial factors um, and trustees needing to think about and set out how they take those into account. Are you seeing much movement in terms of non-financial factors, so such as things like moral and ethical considerations? It, are you seeing much, any, much more focus on that from schemes or members? I think it really depends on the scheme. Um, I think there's been some increase in focus on that um, for certain schemes where that's really, really important to their uh, underlying beneficiaries. There's certainly been more discussions about it, and I think there's been more consultations with beneficiaries on their views around this. Um, But I would say it's pretty mixed. I would say on the other side of it, there is this also trend away from things like exclusions or looking at ethical implications. So um, people are thinking more about how do we integrate ESG factors? How do we think about um, adjusting our financial position or investment decisions as opposed to identifying so-called bad companies and not investing in them. So I think there's a bit of a tension. You see some schemes, yes, looking at ethical issues um, more regularly and consulting on them more regularly, but then you see other schemes where who are very much taking much more financially focused approach around, um, around actually integrating ESG as opposed to identifying like a bad list of companies they won't invest in. Yeah. And going going forwards, um, so from 1st of October, trustees will be required to include a new implementation statement in their annual report and accounts, which really sets out what they've done around ESG, how they've implemented their policies um, and 
how they've implemented their policies on things like voting and engagement as well. What what tips do you have for trustees as they prepare these and what, what can they expect from their asset managers? Yeah, uh, this has been really interesting, actually. I think we've seen a wave of requests over the last six weeks around mm-hmm. this. Um, even though we've known the regulation is coming, I don't think anyone was really thinking ahead about it, sadly. Mm-hmm. Um, so we are getting lots of last-minute requests. Um, We're getting lots of questions coming from our clients that are quite unclear. Um, So it tells me that the client isn't exactly sure what they're asking for, what information they're looking for. And it does make it quite difficult for us as asset managers to then respond um, to those. So um, it's been quite quite interesting over the last six weeks, I'd say. Um, I'd also say that a lot of the requests are sort of uncoordinated, I suppose. Um, And often the client doesn't seem to understand the asset class they're invested in with us so for Mm -hmm. example we can see we're just getting kind of a standard list of questions and it might ask about proxy voting but then when we look you know we'll see it well this this client is actually in a cash fund Um, so it's quite challenging I suppose from an asset manager's perspective to to answer all of these varied client queries in a very very short time span when the questions are quite unclear So a few tips as a result of that, I suppose. I would say prepare early, absolutely prepare early. Um, Give yourself and us as asset managers a reasonable deadline because even though they seem like quite simple questions, give us a list of your significant votes or something like that. Um, The answers are not simple um, and it definitely depends on what kind of a, a fund you're in. It also very much depends on if you're a pooled fund or in a segregated fund. Um, it might be much easier for us to get something on a segregated fund and be more tricky on a pooled fund, for example. Um, I would say also define your terminology. Um, be really, really clear about what language you're using and, and what you mean by that language. Um, this is a consistent problem in the industry at the moment, which is everyone uses slightly different language to describe yeah. the same thing or different things. So if clients are really clear with us about what exactly they mean by their language, then it's much easier for us to answer that. The way we've been addressing that is, is actually helping define it for customers and say, this is what we mean by response testing or ESG integration, and then answering the question accordingly. And then finally, I really know your asset class and your funds. Um, you know, I think if, if you want to genuinely do this properly, um, you do need to have a little bit of a nuance between, you know, your equity funds and your fixed income funds, for example. Um, so sending um, standard questionnaires is quite tricky. And then finally, I guess maybe it's a call out to consultants um, and those that advise pension schemes, perhaps even the lawyers, um, is um, if, if you guys can help come up with some more standardized kinds of questions, it's going to be much easier for us to answer those questions across 20 or 30 of our clients as opposed to receiving 20 or 30 different requests. Now, of course, on the flip side, the clients um, will see receive many different formats from their fund managers. So I think between us, the consultants and the clients, we need to kind of work out a more um, structured and probably more um, uh, a more structured kind of way of being able to answer these queries that doesn't create lots and lots of kind of work for everyone. Um, so that would be my those would be my main tips. Mm. It sounds like there's a real need for kind of coordination among kind of schemes and consultants and asset managers, um, and, and as you yeah. say, a need for more standardisation in this space. I think so. I mean, the regulator op- um, asks open-ended questions, and I think they do that on purpose. And open-ended questions can be can be really helpful 
um, but equally you can end up getting um, not very helpful answers. So um, I know some of the pension consultants just I think this week have announced um, uh, that they're going to start working together um, on response investing and, and sustainability. And yeah. so one of these things I would like to call on them to do is to kind of help work with asset managers and their end clients to kind of coordinate this process a little bit better. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I think it'd be important for asset managers to have a, a key kind of seat at the table there. Um, in terms of just looking ahead at say over the next um, three to five years, clearly a lot's already happened in this space, but how do you see things developing um, kind of in the years ahead? Yeah. So um I think it's luckily we've hit this tipping point, I think. So this is now mainstream. So we're getting less questions now about, oh, does this really matter? You know, is it going to affect my investment returns? I think fortunately those those issues are becoming less frequent and it's now just people getting on with it. So I think that's a huge, huge benefit. Um, ESG is an evolving area just by its nature. So kind of evolving topics um, that could be material financial risks will always be changing. And so um, the future really is for teams like mine in, in response investing within asset managers is constantly horizon scanning for the next sort of big topics, um, trying to identify those, trying to then assess how they'll affect our investments. I think for pension schemes, it's going to have to be really focused on really getting the best you can out of your asset managers. And so this first wave of implementation statements, as we said, might not yield the best results because it feels um, quite last minute and it feels a bit uncoordinated. Um, so I'm hoping that by next year we get to this time, both the asset managers and the, and the clients have worked out what it is they exactly want. And mm-hmm. then we can have a bit more of a clear conversation with clients about how they want to monitor us and, and where we can improve. Mm-hmm. So I think the future is looking quite quite good. We are busier than ever. Um, the demand from clients for more ESG information, more reporting, more transparency is absolutely a positive thing. Um, we need to think about how we do that in a way that is um, value added for our clients and doesn't increase cost significantly mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. obviously keeping pension scheme low costs down is really important. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's quite, quite an exciting time, but mm-hmm. there, there's a lot of change happening, um, a lot of challenges to still to address, but we're definitely busy. Yeah. And earlier you mentioned climate change and we've, we've obviously just had a new consultation issued by DWP specifically on climate related risks. Um, where they're proposing initially for large schemes, but but potentially ultimately for for smaller schemes as well, that there'll be new requirements for for schemes to set uh, metrics and targets around uh, kind of climate related issues, and also to undertake things like scenario analysis. Um, now, on the face of it, that sounds like some quite significant new requirements, and quite a lot of work would be involved. H- how significant do you think? these proposals are and, and how much work would be involved on both the trustee and asset manager side if, if these actually kind of come into force? Yeah, so I'm cautiously welcome this. I think it is right to be focusing on climate risk. It is a significant systemic risk that can affect pension schemes. It's not the only significant ESG systemic risk, so we need to keep that in mind. Um, I do worry a little bit about the data underlying this. So um, in order to set targets, you need to know what your position is. 
Um, we have some pretty serious concerns about the um, the breadth of data available in the market. Um, because you know, if you want to do, uh, for example, a, a carbon footprint, which is a sort of backwards-looking um, assessment of how much carbon your portfolio um, kind of creates or the companies in your portfolio create. If you do that for a typical kind of um, Royal London um, credit fund using only a third-party provider of data, of carbon data, you get data coverage of about 40%. Mm-hmm. So that means you don't have sight of 60% of your assets. Mm-hmm. Um, now, I raise this flag whenever I speak to um, industry bodies and, and regulators and, and, and others that it, it's absolutely great to start talking about scenario analysis and planning and thinking about these things, but we have to realize the, the, the level of um, data we have is very limited. Um, now, we, you know, the benefit of having an internal RI team is that we, we've got experts who can um, actually do a lot of work behind the scenes, and we're actually working on um, a tool where we can do almost our own um, mm-hmm. carbon footprint using our mm-hmm. own knowledge of where we lend in the balance sheet of companies. So mm-hmm. um, I think the data is my big challenge. Yeah. Um, I, you know, and I don't know, I think people just don't yet know what a net zero carbon portfolio looks like. Um, yeah. You kind of have, you have to decarbonize the whole economy. If you're a broadly invested multi-asset customer, um, you're broadly invested across the market, and essentially you need to decarbonize the whole economy. Mm. So I don't think people worked out what that is. We can mm. absolutely, as asset managers, have influence on companies, and we can engage with them, and we can vote. Um, but I, I wouldn't. Uh, I would be lying if I said it wasn't going to be a challenge. I think it will be a, a really big challenge, and the mm. data is is certainly a challenge. Mm. Interesting. And one of the things, just picking up from things you've been saying, is I think for a long time. Um, yeah, there's been concerns around ESG that potentially people are just paying lip service to it, but it sounds like that's really changing and there's there's much more momentum now in this space. There is much more momentum and um, there is a big, big drive to measure everything, which is actually very interesting. So mm-hmm. again, with the DWP um, consultation, it's about measurement. Mm-hmm. Measurement is really, really important. But my, one of my favorite sort of sayings is not everything that matters can be measured. Mm-hmm. And you feel that way about ESG is like some ESG risks are kind of just these intangible risks where it's a professional judgment as opposed to something you could measure and put down on a page. So um, it, it's quite interesting to see this real drive for crystallizing a measurement of an ESG risk as if that's going to capture the full um consequences of that risk and i think we need to be quite careful about that to be Mm. honest i think we still need quite a lot of professional judgment from our fund managers who you know to be fair to them have been looking at intangible risks for their whole careers um and trying to put a value on that and trying to assess relative value um so Mm. so it'll be interesting there is a real drive towards towards measuring um esg risk yeah great well, that's really helpful. Thank you for kind of sharing your your insights with us uh, today, Ashley. And um, my pleasure. Thank you to everyone for listening. Um, if you want to receive future podcasts, then make sure you subscribe to our blog. And uh, yeah, thanks for joining us.